looking for ways to be more innovative, more creative in your business, your career, or your life, this is the episode for you. Dr. Max McCowan joins me today. He is a behavioral strategist and globally recognized innovation expert. He's an award-winning author and speaker, and his research and topics focus on strategy, innovation, adaptability, and always moving forward. Now, Max was one of the first guests we had on Imperfect Action. In fact, it was episode number six. And in today's episode, we discuss, first off, his newest book called The Innovator's Book and the thinking around the unique design and format. In fact, just the format of the book is a lesson in innovation itself. And we talk about the three jobs of the innovator, not as in what are their careers, but what are the three roles that an innovator has to play to get things done? And then what gets in the way of innovation and we also talk about the often overlooked people side of innovation, because innovation does not happen in a vacuum. It doesn't happen just through technology. It happens through people. And so this is a great episode. Really enjoyed the conversation with Max. We had a, a few technical issues that were mostly worked out. We were able to save the audio, but there are a few places that are a little glitchy. So uh, bear with that, please, because it is a fantastic conversation. In fact, over the past several weeks here, we've had just a great stream of guests. Uh, you, you might have caught Michael Roderick. He was talking about how do you stand out when everyone is being coached and told to be different, but in their attempts to be different, everyone really ends up sounding very much the same. And so how do you break out of that and how do you leverage your network? Really creative and really practical thoughts there. And we also had a couple episodes back, Dr. Shukumar Rao. We talked about creating the life we experience. Now, uh, Dr. Rao is a, an, an amazing teacher, an amazing speaker. If you're familiar with Mind Valley, he has the highest rated course on Mind Valley. He is a, a, an acclaimed lecturer at some very prestigious universities, and he's really distilled down the teachings of the ages stripped away all the, I guess, cultural things around it. And just what can we learn from all, all the ideas that have been traveling around the globe here for, for thousands of years? And how do we apply that into our own life today? And then we also had Stu Hynek and he, amazing, amazing conversation because he is a marketer that gets over a hundred percent response rate. And that is just mind-blowing to think about. And he approaches things totally different. And he's found a way, an approach to get a meeting with anyone and then be able to leverage that and to not just get the meeting, but then be able to make the sale, to have that response. And so, again, you know, whether you're a salesman, whether you're a marketer, there are some great ideas that we can all use in whatever our career is, wherever our life's at. So give it a listen. But right now, uh, hold on, because Max has some great ideas. Welcome to Imperfect Action. This is Brock Edwards, and today's guest is Dr. Max McCowan. Uh, Max, we've had you on the show before. You were actually episode six about a year ago, so one of the very first guests on the show. Welcome back. It's great to be here. Yeah, really good. Good to be chatting and good to see that you've made so many since we last spoke. Yeah, we've had, we've had a few come out over the past year. And now you and I, Max, actually, my connection to you goes back, and I had to look it up. It's about seven years, and uh, we actually connected over a, a book I'd been following you on Twitter because a friend of mine followed you. And one day, in fact, I actually remember this. I was out doing yard work and was just taking a break. And you tweeted out something like, you know, the first five people to respond to this tweet, I'll, I'll send them a copy of my newest book, which at that time was called The Strategy Book. And so I responded, you know, a week or two later, I get a book in the mail. And I, I thought it was fantastic. And in fact, at the time, I had uh, done up just a, a short review on it on a blog <laughs> I was doing called Fool with a Plan. And 
one of the things I said about it, I said, this is one of those books where if I had highlighted all the ideas that grabbed me, I didn't have ended up with practically all the book yellow. The author is, <laughs> the author is concise down to earth and yet has a very engaging and conversational style. He does a great job of condensing big ideas into simple sentences. And I think that's uh, very reflective of your style that, that I've seen in all the books I've read of yours since then. You managed to take these really big ideas and make them uh, very, very palatable, almost so much so that, you know, you, you can, it would be easy to blow past if you're not paying attention, like, wow, no, that was really profound right there. So today we're also talking about a book because you have a new book out and called The Innovator's Book. This one's a little bit different. And I, just to paint a little bit of a visual before we talk about any of the content of it, I mean, content-wise, it's broken into three sections. Each section has a bunch of chapters that are like a, you know, a page or two each. So really easy to get through. There's a lot of visuals. Um, but the book itself, and you had actually kind of postponed this conversation until I could have a copy of the book in my hands. And at the time I thought, okay, you know, that, that's good. But uh, once I saw the book, I, I totally understood why. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just, it, we made it to be so beautiful and so sort of adorable and lovable and likable and, uh, tactile that to to just discuss it as a set of words independent of its form seemed to me a real waste it, it's a total form follows function book that's the ethos that it 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 follows right from the the start I, and that and that shines through i mean your your focus is always seem to be heavy on strategy and innovation and you know the cover it's called the innovators book rules for rebels mavericks and the innovators and then you go a few pages in and i, I kind of loved your intro it just says hello this book is as short as possible rules for rebels rule makers and rule breakers to help you pack light and travel far you find innovators as people who make new ideas useful you throw in the synonyms of pioneers trendsetters hipsters hackers hustlers trailblazers innovators heretics Creators, problem solvers, optimists, obsessives, fire starters, scientists, risk takers, disruptors, game changers, explorers, garage heroes, people like you. Um, so I love that intro, by the way. And, and they but really are. The, 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 all those people. I mean, there's so much to unpack there as well. And I, I hope <laughs> and I'm seeing that already. I, I have a, a client and he he was he really smart guy. I mean, totally smart. And I know an American audience likes this, has become very wealthy, and but still not a reader. You know, he did university, did really well, but not a day-to-day -day reader. He's a doer. And he's read it three times already, you know. And he said that, he said, I keep wanting to make notes and put post-it notes in there and sort of link this to that, but I don't want to spoil the beautiful pages. And I've already... Uh, gifted it to somebody and would you mind just signing a copy because I needed to send it to this person, you know, special request, sending me photos. And it really was it, it in part designed to to be the book that reaches the parts that other books don't reach and yet not be made of sugar paper or something, candy floss that, that, that it, it, it is sticky or disappears and, and leaves nothing even though you enjoyed it. It's not a one-idea book, and yet I, I think it's as likable as a beautiful greetings card or a painting or a picture or a toy. I think you want to, to get into it and touch it and look through and go, oh, that is so interesting, that, that object he's found there. 
uh, and we found artworks and we chased them down and we got in touch with these sculptors and said, hey, can we have permission for this? And there's just there's an impossible watering can in there that doesn't work. And we took photographs. I mean, I enjoyed doing that. Photographs of toys and creating montages. So there's a heap load of creativity in there. And we wanted it to feel the way creativity can feel so that people could have that reflection rather than, hey, here's innovation, here's innovation management, and you've already made innovation half as interesting as it was a moment ago by adding management to, to that. And here's a structure, and now we've bored you to death so that you're suffering from well, what Al Freen calls innovation fatigue. And some people have called innovation bullshit, and you've lost all that energy that that you had. We wanted to, to, you know, just be to be a joy, and hopefully transmit that shareable, and adorable, and maybe a companion for at least your innovation life. Well, it certainly makes you want to dig into it and just flip through it. And it, it, it is really hard to describe. So um, you know, we'll have some pictures on the website and all that. But it is, you know, journal sized. If people listening can, can picture this, the, the colors are distinctive. You know, it's black and white and not quite baby blue. And, uh, you know, like a journal, it has a little elastic strap so that you can close it. It's got a bookmark built into it. The cover is... I don't even know what you call that. It's just like really like thick. A card, um, yeah, a card. Yeah, almost like a you know a children's book that somebody might have had. A card. Yeah, a those really thick pages they use for young kids' books. That's exactly what it is. And so you know, and it it's sized. It could fit in a back pocket. Um, and then you know, flipping through, like you say, you've got just a, a ton of pictures of very novel things in here that you know underscore the the lesson on each page. Uh, and, and I, you know, I've already showed this book off to, to other people just because it looks so cool. I mean, it looks like after spending all the effort writing it, you spent just as much effort thinking through how do I want this to look? How do I want this to feel? Oh, so much, Brock. <laughs> so much. So I did start with a sense of, of what I wanted. I'd already always enjoyed books by, I don't know whether your audience will know them, but Marshall McLuhan or uh, Arden, books that were quite small and then at the same time, packed with visual impact. So I'd always enjoyed that. And then, of course, storybooks, you know, where the wild things are and all that kind of thing, because my name's Max. And Max is with the wild things. So I'd already enjoyed that. But when you started it, we had to end up with a toy aesthetic because creativity is playful. And then we thought about classic toys. And then you've got to fight for copyright and permissions with the toy companies, even though it's your toy you're taking a photograph of. And then we just, uh, so much work. But I, I love doing that because I think, uh, and I, I get that sense that what, one, it was a joy to do. And your last guest talked about how the, the work you do must bring your own joy. So doing it was joyful even though it was hard and lots of, you know, really late nights and between conferences and, and you know, work, work, we, we were creating it. But what an enjoyable process it was to meet the artists and to ask them, graffiti artists and sculptors and or also architects, and then produce a book that would showcase the art and juxtapose that with the principle and then really hone the words so that in only about 100 words per principle, uh, 
honest, you know, every three or four words is packed full of goodness. Uh, and may, maybe that's part of, I, I loved all the short books, uh, Vegetius, Sun Tzu or Sun Zhao and uh, Nietzsche, things where it's very short and yes, it's packed with goodness. So you can read it once and enjoy it. Then it stays with you. And then you go back and say, but it's true. And I can use that. That's a theory I can put into practice in my life or bringing my vision and my great dream to life. You can probably tell that yeah, I, I love my own book. Yeah. And, and it almost looks like uh, one of the things that came to mind was like a field guide. You used to see them like in the 60s, you know, like a kind of a boy's life field guide kind of thing. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. And- the, 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 the survival guide. I remember there was one about surviving the zombie apocalypse, maybe. But yeah, the, or the, you know, a hundred, uh, or, or how to do anything, that kind of thing, like a small yeah. version of the Reader's Digest books. And actually, we we're at a family gathering recently with, with my siblings, uh, Greg and Spencer and Justin and Ellie. And we're, we're all together and all their spouses and their children, you know, all my niece and nephews, big family. And, and I, I just got one out. I, I'm not really a, very pushy about the stuff that I create in a you know friend's family setting. And, but I just got one out because somebody had asked for one. And, and then suddenly it was being passed around by all these nieces and nephews. And it was in back pockets. And it was being read, read in the corner. And somebody was asking for one. And I was receiving texts and messages. So there is something really quite yeah beguiling that you don't expect. And it almost doesn't deserve to be called a business book. What is a book about practical creativity and bringing ideas to life, whatever you care about, problems, solutions, stuff you enjoy, playing your part with just three jobs to remember, uh, which was a play on the you only had one job meme. As an innovator, you've got three jobs and all three jobs have to be done by somebody for an idea to end up popular and strong and play a part in this world. Well, so yeah, I mean, we've been talking about, you know, just what the book looks like for a bit here, but I, I don't want to miss that as cool as the book is, um, there's some really great words in the book as well. <laughs> I mean, it's not just to pick up and flip through and catch the eye, but the the ideas behind it. So you mentioned three jobs. And so what are the three jobs of an innovator? Well, the first job is to make new ideas useful. The second idea, second job is to create a bigger brain. And that means finding people and getting them engaged in helping you to make your idea useful and then sustain your idea in the world. So you may not have all the skills required. And even if you've made it useful the first time, you're going to need a lot of people to keep doing the new version to sustain and support it. And then the third job is to help your new idea to win or to win with new ideas. That, that, that part that you've got, a, you've made it useful and you've got some people around it to help you to do that, but it's still got to make its way in the world. It has to become popular. It has to become accessible. It has to compete with other ideas. Uh, and then then finally, it has to bring you wh- whatever it was that you wanted, a change in the world or a change in your own personal world, which could include for startups income. But then it, it could be in a political sense or a social sense, something that you wanted to achieve. And you can really run any idea through those three jobs. So it could be uh, peace or civil rights or a change in law. 
but then equally it could be your new startup idea or a medical device or healthcare for this particular group. So you can take any idea you want through those three jobs and keep remembering which job am I doing and which job do I have to do to achieve whatever your particular aim is. Well, one of the things that you had uh, talked about in the book is you described ideas as idea babies. Uh, can you expand on that a little bit? Why, why did you choose that metaphor? Again, so, so many reasons. So, so I talk in the book about how new ideas are like babies. They're ugly, beautiful, and not finished yet. So in part because ideas like babies, your own children, are really beautiful to you, but may not be so considered by others. And, and you see that in people's reaction. But when I saw my first child and second child and third child and fourth child, child I have four, they're just the most beautiful thing to me. Now, I'm sure they are beautiful to everybody else. But, you know, sometimes other people respond to somebody else's child and don't really see the beauty uh, or don't even see the importance of another child. or And the same is true with ideas. When you've come up with the idea, you think, listen, it's just, look, I'm so totally right about this opportunity. Other people respond to it and just don't see the point and reject it too quickly or out of hand and don't see the beauty that's in it. And then equally, the, both parties, whether it's beautiful or it's ugly, the idea is not finished yet. And there must have been something behind the idea. There was an insight, a problem, or an opportunity, you know, a solution. There's In the book, I talk about how the true parents of innovation are creativity on the one hand, but curiosity, sorry, on the one hand, and then necessity. So the true parents of innovation are curiosity and necessity. You know, it can be both. You need to do something or you want to do something. So all these things are kind of whirling around the creation of a new idea and it is very much like life. It has to be conceived, the true parents of, and then it has to be nurtured until it becomes useful. And then it has to be grown so that it has a real impact in the world. And certainly as a parent myself, I know that my children were not finished at birth or at 10 or at 15 or at 20 or now that they're older, they're just not finished yet. I'm not finished yet. There's so much more. And so it takes, as with a child, it takes a village to really nurture a new idea and get the best out of it, not just in one generation, over many generations, until people recognize that it's important, but then also benefit from it over decades, centuries. I mean, think of writing, quite useful, really. And yet it took time to become everything that it is now. And then there were printers and then there were telegraphs. And now we have computers and it's all about writing. The idea, beautiful though it is, is never finished. And so it is for children and in a deep way for humanity. We're, we're not finished yet either, but we're a beautiful, ugly idea. Well, you mentioned that most things fail and that there's some upsides to acknowledging that. But if most things fail, how do we know which ideas to nurture? I think that one of the reasons I pointed out that most things fail was to, to have that. Uh, in the book, I describe the importance of having a failure strategy. Uh, that 
to acknowledge that your first efforts in doing something and sharing something are unlikely to bring the success you dreamt of and or unlikely to be self-sustaining. The, the stand-up comedian, their first attempt at an open mic event will probably be a failure and they will probably just die on stage. And then even later when they get their first paid gig, they'll probably die on stage. And even when they get their stadium gig or their first being interviewed, you know, on some great chat show, they're going to have a, a bad moment. And the, the newer the thing is you're attempting, the most, more likely it is to fail sometimes, to not quite work, the more failures and then the more repetitions. So, so I think you can look at a particular idea and say, how far removed is this from what already exists? What ideas does my idea depend upon? So if it's only an incremental advance, then you can at least know that you could, if it's a physical thing, that you could prototype it, that you could just nuance it. If it's a, uh, an idea like running a particular business, you, if it's just a step away from what exists at the moment, again, you can start small. Uh, I, I, I talk about that, starting small. You can start small and just experiment and try things out and see if your little nascent baby idea has, has legs, has a future, and also what kind of future it might have. If the steps required for your idea to be successful are just huge and depend on technologies that don't exist anymore, then again, you can, you can step through. So if you come up with the idea for a teleportation device, who knows? One day, maybe that's going to work. But a few short steps, 30 seconds of research on Wikipedia would reveal the state of the art at the moment. And then you could piece it out and say, well, maybe that is just an idea that is 50 years, 100 years, you know, centuries away from happening. But how can I contribute now? You come back down to what is possible so that you can micro slice your idea. So, so I think just explore it on paper in prototype form by having a 30 seconds of research and then a, a few little experiments to see how far off something is from being achieved. But but you don't have to necessarily, it doesn't mean you have to give up. People watch the Star Trek episodes where they would use the communicators and they looked at that. And I remember reading the guy that was in charge of the first cell phone that was successful. And he said, we viewed that science fiction television series as a specification for our invention. So he did take something that didn't exist yet and built it. It's just that he had to go step by step by step, engineering, get his qualifications, find people around him and work for, you know, three, four decades before he realized his objective. So, so all of those, I think, are, are good tips. So, I mean, innovation, I, I have yet to come across a business or an entrepreneur who doesn't say, yes, of course, we want innovation. And with everyone wanting innovation, what tends to get in the way 
I think sometimes even knowing what they mean by it. Uh, I don't mean mm. playing sort of some kind of definition um, jeopardy <laughs> to, where everybody else is wrong. But I, in the book, in my work, I, I just define innovation as a new idea made useful or as practical creativity. And so you can use somebody else's new idea to do a job. You don't even have to come up with a new idea yourself. You can just pick it up and say, oh, that, that, that's really interesting. How can I use that? So somebody else created the cell phone. Somebody else created the internet. Somebody else put them together into a smartphone. Somebody created the app store. Somebody created a, a, an app development kit. And you can use all of those ideas in order to achieve your particular aim, which might mean looking after old people in your community or delivering food faster the way that Just Eats or Uber Eats does. So you can pick up ideas that already exist, and all of that is innovation. So I think one thing that gets in the way is thinking it's what it isn't, thinking it has to be totally new to this world. And when or just pretend bells and whistles, as in, you know, the way that detergent says new and improved and you don't know if it's new or improved. And so I think either fake innovation or vague innovation doesn't really help. But when you view it as new ideas useful and you know that it doesn't have to be your ideas, it could be somebody else's and you just need to pick them up and move them around and use them, then it becomes much more powerful. Equally, what can get in the way, of course, is prematurely judging an idea, saying that everything that you don't understand is rubbish or uh, uh, garbage or crap or whatever your, your sort of uh, uh, mot juste is. You know, de in prematurely deciding that this new generation, everything that it does is bad and that you don't understand it and this will never work. That, of course, is going to get into the way because it's idea toxic. And there are whole, unfortunately, swathes of society that can do that in their their little and big ways and then wonder why the world has passed them by rather than almost getting on the bandwagon you know hitching a ride on uh, on the newest and latest and greatest and the most powerful uh, uh, so so both of those oh and, and if you're going to throw one in it's judging that the moment has passed that because you weren't first because you weren't on the front of Time magazine in 1980 or 1990 or 2000 or 2010, that your moment has passed, that there's nothing more you can do. And this is a mistake too. You can start small, you can micro slice, slice the tasks and then and make, make progress li little by little and then say, well, which of these steps am I not doing uh, and, and advance your, your, your progress uh, and enjoy that innate creativity of course which is in itself a huge reward well you talked about the in the book you talked about the myth of the lone genius and you know in the under the concept of building a bigger brain it, a lot of that's really about getting other people to help you bringing them into your company or tapping into their ideas i guess that that's one of the first times that i've heard people mentioned when it comes to innovation they you know i think the only other time I've seen it, uh, you'd mentioned Al Fren. He did a book called Dangerous Ideas, and I'm going off memory here from a few years back. But I think he had a chapter in there talking about how, you know, everyone says that they want creativity and innovation, but it turns out that when it comes to managing people who tend to be creative and innovative, that can be a bit of a challenge. 
Um, and I don't think you mentioned it as a bad thing, just a, you need to be aware of what you're getting sort of thing. What are some of the, the challenges of surrounding ourselves with people who can help us build that bigger brain or, or how do we go about doing it? A couple of things come to mind. Uh, one is that if you, you start small again, you find someone who shares some of your passion. That's a, a good start, even a bit. You need, I think, innovation allies and friends. Great ideas need great friends. New ideas can need new friends. So finding somebody who will give you a, a little bit of practical or emotional support. So, so again, to sort of underline this, start small, get someone it, it is a great start. Because I think we can over, we it can definitely overcomplicate. And I like to go back to not models, although I'm qualified as it, you know, in all of those, but no, not models, but how new ideas have actually become useful in the real world. You know, the story of the idea and the story of the person behind the idea and how they, somebody like uh, Phil Knight over at Nike. Well, that, that's not that new, but trainers were not such a big thing when he started and he had an idea. His idea was to make them a really big deal and make trainers, uh, sneakers, I guess, uh, athletic shoes a really significant market and something that the whole world wanted. And he had to put his life savings in on the one hand, travel to Japan on the other, ask his parents for support at a certain point, ask his athletic coach from his college days for support. He had to go sort of door to door almost in his community asking for a little bit of money here and a little bit of money there and beg and borrow and then still was selling shoes from the back of his car so you start small and i could do the same for really every idea at uber or amazon it Amazon in a garage, on tables, bought it to sort of home de 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 depot, uh, de laid out, and they were working there, and they were super frugal, and he convinced, and he and his wife at that point working together, convincing people, using what they had little by little in order to make this thing work. I think what's over done sometimes is that these creative people are so difficult to work with. Uh, they're not necessarily, uh, and they're, they come in all sorts of shapes and sizes, or that the world isn't interested and it'll be totally impossible, but you still got to start, and it is still a thing to be done. And I hope that comes across in this book, that it's, it, it's a practical thing. You have to do you have to find somebody to support and then find another person to support uh, uh, and so on. And that's why you have to be a little bit strategic and a, a little bit cockroach, as I put it. You have to keep on keeping on until the, the answer presents itself and reveals itself for you to take just another little step. I think one of the, the most practical aspects of it, Max, is the, just, at least for me, the idea that it isn't that this lone genius comes up with this 
amazing idea and the world just gasps and it's immediately accepted, but that it, it does take time and it takes people and it takes all the things you're mentioning, you know, even just getting the funding you were talking about um, with Nike and, and, you know, kind of nurturing that idea forward that, you know, the name of this show is Imperfect Action, just the idea that it's not going to be perfect that first time around. And it's probably not going to shock people and they probably will be quick to judge it and dismiss it. And there is something to keeping on, keeping on. Um, in fact, one of the things, and I've seen you mention this in several places, is the idea that you know innovation comes in waves and you yeah. can't control those waves. So you've got to learn to surf. Yeah, and, see, and see them coming and then respond. And I've got to say again, there's, you don't, you might have a dream of being the world's biggest, the world's best, the world's richest, you know, those kind of goals. Maybe that's all you've, all that turns you on. Maybe that, that that's true, but it doesn't have to be. There, there are, if you want to be very wealthy, there are lots of billion dollar businesses out there that you have never heard of. No idea, you know, go through the top 500 companies in the world and most people couldn't name more than 50 of them. Well, 20, if we're going to do most of them, probably 10. And beyond that, so so you can be very good and excellent and amazing or wealthy if that's the thing that you want or fulfilled if that's the thing you want without being the number one or the number 10 or the top 100. And I think that sometimes only wanting to be all of those things really gets in the way. Sometimes it doesn't if you can bear it psychologically, <laughs> the distance between where you are and where you have to be. Um, the, the Uber guy could bear that. He did start small, but fairly soon he grabbed hold of the idea he wanted to be the you know the best and the biggest. And he could stand the psychological pressure that that brings day after day. Well, actually, could he stand it? Since he blew up and got himself fired, maybe he couldn't. You know, eight years of it and he just popped. Steve, um, <laughs> but Steve Jobs or Jobs, he was similar to he couldn't take it. He popped and then was pushed out of his company. So, so I think sometimes how about just make it useful in your life, your community, your podcast? I mean, it's fabulous. You've got a new medium. You've got a new me media within that medium of podcasts and you sort of te technique and you're in it and you're doing it and we're talking. Well, that's, that's already fabulous. It's already working. You made new ideas work question is now what do you want next and how do you recruit more people to your cause next and where are they hanging and i talk in the book about networks getting to hotspots if it's a podcast how do you find a, a network out there of podcasters how do you get to know more podcasters is that the route do you know how do you learn about the ones that you like the best um, how those have been syndicated or not so i'm not telling you of course brock uh, what to do. What I'm saying is for me or for you or for anybody, you can uh, use your ideas to do good to you in your life and then just take the next step. We've been talking a little bit about, you know, the, all the thought that you put into the, the form of the book beyond just the words of the book. And you seem to do that with uh, a lot of things. You know, anyone can go on YouTube, track down some of your presentations where you, you do these drawings as you're talking. And they become these huge, elaborate things on the whiteboard, and you know, not a lot of people do that. And it seems like you, you, you yourself spend as much time thinking about how to innovate or how to 
get make your message even more accessible. I mean, you, beyond just the substance of powerful ideas, you seem to spend a, a quite a bit of time thinking about how do I make those powerful ideas accessible. Um, and I guess there's not really a question to that, Max. But well, I, well, one, thank you. I suppose thank you for noticing. Uh, it totally is true. So I, I've, and again, I totally encourage anybody listening to this go go look at the uh, the, the video of some of my work because I, I think I, I talk in the book about paradise. You know that you can try and do what everybody else can do, and everything that's totally obvious, and you just end up competing over the same bloody space or the bloody island as uh, I, I put it or you can move eventually to strive to move towards paradise some place that only you really understand and only really you can do but other people value but you value as well I, I'm not only the few I know as a fact I'm the only person in the world who has ever quite done what I'm doing which is to create live cartoon mural it ends up being sort of 12 foot feet by six feet wide in an you know an hour or so and you're creating it with these big graffiti style marker pens and it comes to life the world that i have uh, put in this book as well but they're, they're these big cartoon drawings and then people auction them off or put them in their offices as i talk to whether it's hundreds or thousands of people, nobody has done that. Uh, and I love that fact. I, I love being able to do the thing that nobody else has done in a way that nobody else could do because then that's pure maxness, I suppose. And then if I'm enjoying that and loving it, surely my audience can understand that and can clearly see how these deep, hidden academic ideas, philosophical ideas, uh, business and psychological ideas that are often hidden or shared in very superficial or very inaccessible ways are totally memorable and they're going to stick for the rest of people's lives. Well, you know, I, I, I guess I, I'm just fascinated that, you know, that's a, a completely separate skill set, being able to you know, draw that way and being, and then you combine that with being able to draw as you go, as you're speaking, as you're presenting I'm kind of curious what what inspired you to develop that skill to that level to be able to do that, or did you already have that and you just decided to combine the two? I think it was very very much very much both. There's some story that's told in some groups, probably anecdotal, about how people would pick a child's career by throwing down something like a wallet and the rule book and something else in front of a baby and seeing which one they crawled towards. And if they crawled towards the wallet, they had to be an accountant, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I think there is a sense that my life now is just an iteration of my life very early, early on. I'm still the same organism, you know, parents conceive, I'm the result. And then within... Um, whatever, within a year, I'm walking around and throwing myself out of my cot and wandering around at 2am. And within uh, th th that first two years, I'm there talking and reading and drawing. And my father used to bring home these huge, he was in the printing industry, and he'd bring home these huge rolls of paper. And uh, I would draw huge montages, really, uh, as it went along. So in a way, I always wanted to. And in a way, I was always 
uh, honing those skills. But I only really put it together when I was in Malaysia with Nokia and I was going to speak anyway. And I was about to get up and do the kind of usual thing, beautiful PowerPoint, tell everybody about the nature of the changing world, lots of statistics and lots of examples. And I thought, but the problem with this is you don't really, you can't really put it together. You can't see how one link links to the other. And so they enjoy that five minute section before somebody clicks. And, you know, TED Talks got it down to an art now. They compress every idea down into 20 minutes, which really amounts to just what, um, four or five minute sections or something repeated. Yeah. Anyway. And what you miss is that sense of continuity and, and how the whole thing fits together. So I had them in the break create something for me on stage. And I did my very first um, off the cuff with a marker uh, live cartoon performance. And it was very raw, but hugely successful. And I loved doing it. And really, ever since I've I've honed that art, studying the best cartoonists, drawing and drawing, considering how does this academic paper I've just read, how does that real? How could I show that? How could I draw that up? What what's the concept that I could use a shark for competition? And how can I use the shark? What does that mean? Well, it means a collection of ideas swimming together. You know, all of those ways really. Just hone it and hone it and hone it, and enjoy honing it, and then enjoy showing off you know, the privilege of pressure. Look, guys, I can do this thing and you're going to love it as much as I do because I can spot someone in the audience and then caricature them live to illustrate a point and then take a selfie at the end. Uh, and the whole audience really around the world um, has, if I may, uh, it has its breath taken away by their experience. And uh, that's a real pleasure, uh, even better in the flesh. I love all the ideas and I say, I, I love that you put so much thought into how to take these ideas, which have very, very solid academic underpinnings and make them so accessible and so usable. How can people, where can people find you? How can they, how can they access that? <laughs> that's, that's a clunky question. I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 I, like, I like it. I'd be, I think that's it. Well, uh, LinkedIn, very, very active on LinkedIn. Uh, so, so go find me there. I find a nice targeted audience who are interested in all of these subjects together. How do you shape the future? How do you do it with new ideas? How do you do it with strategy? How do you do it with psychology? So LinkedIn, Instagram, the, there are lots of photos from the books. Uh, the, the I'm on Twitter buy a book. I mean, really, if you want value for money, anybody out there, buy a book, take a photo, go onto one of those networks, show me the photo and ask me a question. And that's probably the, the most cost effective way of getting into to my world. Or just lurk. If you're not a person who asks questions, you know, buy a book, lurk in the background uh, and then see bit by bit the value that you get. I just love doing it. Love sharing ideas, love understanding them and then explaining them back to the world. Fantastic. Well, you, you've put these ideas out into the world and you, I mean, you already mentioned what people can do just, you know, to access the book, to be able to share ideas and tap into some more of those ideas. Um, what ask would you have of the audience beyond, uh, you know, of course, buy the book, read the book, live the book, um, anything they can do to, to help you or to move ideas forward? Well, I suppose if it's focused on me, first of all, why not? The, I think if the, all of my ideas are built to, 
going to love to use in your own life and then to share. So uh, I said earlier, new ideas need new friends, great ideas need great friends. Uh, I think sometimes we, people can forget that if they have enjoyed something, you see it on YouTube, it's everywhere. They're saying subscribe, subscribe. I, I'm not saying that so much, but I, I am saying share, share. This book in particular, it has the knowledge we have gained as a human species about the subject of innovation expressed in a very particular and you know unique way, but that's what it contains. And if you use it and then you share it with your team and you know in a practical way, buy copies for people. It's a gift. It's a Christmas gift for anybody who has ever wanted to change any part of the world uh, or use any idea and bring it to life. So it's a great gift. It's great for your team. It's great for explaining your own passion to other people. Maybe you're a fan of these subjects, but you never find anybody else who's interested. Give them this book instead uh, and they will really, really love it. So, so that would be fantastic. Uh, and then on the uh, other side, uh, I would love people to think strategically and uh, creatively about how they can find their own power, not to be empowered, but to find their own power to change the world because people are all the time. This world is made of rules that other humans have made for themselves and each other. And I have a section in the book that talks about how rules should be written in pencil. We should consider them as something that can be altered. And by altering them with new ideas, we can have more of what we want, but also more of the world that we want. And we should take action towards that aim, even if it's imperfect action, and necessarily really because all action is imperfect as we are. Beautiful. Well, Max, thank you so much for being on today. I really appreciate it. I've loved it. Thank you very much, Brock. And for all the support over all the years, uh, really, really appreciate it. All right. You just heard some fantastic ideas. And so my question for you, my challenge for you is what next? What are you going to put into action? Because that's really the focus of these conversations that we're having is, you know, whether we're looking at networking and meeting people and making those connections, or we're looking at creativity and innovation, we're just looking at persistence. We're always looking for ways. How do we get unstuck? How do we move forward? So it's not just about great conversations and good ideas. It's really about action. So my challenge to you is to take action in your own life, whether it's in your business, your career, a big project you have going on, and I'd love to hear about it. So for you, if you would, you can connect with me on Twitter, just at Brock Edwards, and let me know what ideas really resonated for you. What actions are you going to take from today's episode? And I would also encourage you to share the ideas. Reach out to people, send them a quick text, email, post, what, whatever it is. If something really resonated for you, if you really liked it, give about three seconds thought to who do you know who would also benefit from these ideas and then share them with that person as well because that's how we grow. That's how we make a difference on the planet and in our lives is by allowing these ideas to grow and combine and then taking them out and putting them into action. Just a little, just a little